Welcome, apprentices and acolytes. Thank you so much for coming into the Dark Temple. Today, we're going to talk about the production woes and the entire strike of the Union. And, of course, we're going to get into some spoopy, beautiful stuff from Star Wars and Sith tombs. Are you ready? Ready up. Ready up! Thank you so much, apprentices and acolytes, for coming into the Dark Temple. Unlock the knowledge, the podcast that gives you everything you hope and desire. All the knowledge. How you doing today? It's so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming out. We have so much fun to talk about. I cannot wait for everything that's been going on with Star Wars. And honestly, there really hasn't been too much outside of rumors and everything else that's going on. But the first thing that I want to talk to you about today, wait before I get it going, okay? Coming into the Dark Temple. Visited by Mera Jade, Luke Skywalker, Kyle Katarn, and so many other Force sensitives like yourself. I am Lord Dagovir. Let's go. So, The Mandalorian Season 3 shoot and production seems like it's going to be hold for now. It looks like it's going to be delayed. And it's, it's kind of sad because there is this strike that is happening. And I've seen a lot of posts recently saying that um, they've struck a deal and it's the strike is not happening anymore. But I don't think I've seen anything official. And I just wanted to bring attention to it. And I'm probably going to talk about it for the next like 15 or so minutes. Uh, and that is just production, and I'm talking about the IATSE uh, union. Uh, these are production. These are anybody that's involved with creating sets, extras, writing, CGI, anything that has to deal with production, post-production. It, it's 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 a terrible dilemma that's been happening, and it's quite in the, in the domain of this uh, industry, and it also skewers and seeps into other industries. We see it in every industry. It's not just uh, Hollywood, it's also anywhere. It's in fast food, it's er everywhere else, but I'll just keep focus on production uh, and Star Wars because without these people, uh, these people are literally working so hard. Uh, and it's, it's, it's quite sad to know that the people that bring you these things, the reason why you're watching this stuff uh, most of the time is because the production teams are continuously sitting at their desks, you know, creating these incredible monsters, you know, and incredible costumes and all the CGI and the works and so much editing and, and staff people like actual equipment managers that are and setting up everything that's in this. I can't remember what the dome is called that they use in the Mandalorian, but how they use the actual sets. And it's all these people are so important to what we love for Star Wars. Um, and it's about time that they get their due. It's straight up. They put in so much work. And I can't really say how valuable they are because it's it's kind of obvious how these people are, are getting used in their fashion. There are so many demands. The quality these days I feel like it takes so much time and I know a lot of people like to harp up on like CGI and and uh, practical effects and special effects and, and everything else um, and sets and costumes and just the sheer quality that it takes to create a full-fledged film TV series these days it's it's there's so much budget there's so much money going around and I feel like the money that's being made off these series is also also incredible. I can't even begin to, to imagine how much, you know, toys and branding and posters and advertisement, uh, you know, 
how much money that is not being put into the actual workforce that's creating this from the ground up. Everybody has the little man. Everybody has the person that works, you know, night shifts, 12, you know, 12 to 12, right? Um, and I mean by like 12 shifts, like <laughs> 12 hour shifts, you know, uh, and I think we've all worked 12 hour shifts. I think we've all worked a graveyard shift. I think some of us have even worked longer than that. There were times where I had to work 72, 72 hours straight at one time. Um, and that was just because I worked in broadcasting and sometimes, you know, there was no one else to replace you and you couldn't just let stuff not be live and not be edited and, and just kind of go, that's not how things work. You know, you just kind of have to take it because at the end of the day, you need to eat and you need to get, you need to, you need to pay for bills. Um, but this is nothing compared to something like that. This is, this is stuff that is seen throughout all brands, throughout all customers, throughout all individuals and people that is on platforms like Netflix and Disney and the Mandalorian and, and, and Disney is one of those things. Disney is one of the largest creators in the world. It's incredible how, even with how much money you you would see a Disney entity have, there is still apparently not enough money to go around that you are not eligible to pay certain individuals, uh, especially individuals that are always working around the clock, busting their butts, bleeding, sweating, uh, sometimes crying because of how the workload and how, how difficult it is, the entirety of just the sheer effort that they have to put into 100%, more than 100%. Uh, and there's that's the thing too, is like, these are some of the most creative people on the planet. You can't just go out and replace these people. These people have been in the industry for years. Uh, this is really where experience trumps all. And talent trumps all. It's so hard to find those quality individuals. You can't just go off and pick someone off from the streets and say, here, I need you to, you know, here, here's how many polys you have. Here's, uh, here's how many whatever you have, and, and can you just please clear out the sky and create more of the Razor Crest, or can you please? Uh, I remember the Rise of Skywalker trailer, uh, one of the first Rise of Skywalker trailers, and Kylo Ren's cape. Um, he actually he didn't have a cape on. It was actually a CGI animated cape, and you could tell that because when Rey and Kylo Ren were fighting. There was no reflection of his cape. <laughs> it was, it was, so that person right there, or that entire team, I'm 100% certain, was probably worked like crazy. You you don't just miss those things. That that happens with just straight up working over the hours. Right? Not enough people or not enough resources. That, that's just how it happens, you know? It's it's someone could be sitting there, you know, with enough time and, 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 and money on their hands, enough rest, for these things to be put out, and so it's quality, and and I feel like it's also terrible for gaming as well, because I feel like it's so hard for a video game to be made these days, uh, a quality video game. So many games are live service, you know, supporting with the content, DLCs, and, and updates over and over, and it's just, for some reason, it's just so incredibly hard to get these games polished, to get the games out, working, and nice and beautiful. And it seems like it's going to be consistent. It seems like it's going to be so very consistent uh, until whatever happens, until there is some type of innovation. And we don't see it anymore. But it seems like so many people are stuck on nostalgia. Uh, these movies and everything else, uh, specific, specifically video games, um, as we focus on video games, because Star Wars is really big in video games and it should be uh, announcing a couple things here in the next couple months and maybe even next year. 
So when you look at these video games, a lot of people are usually hopped up on nostalgia. And I feel like they can't get off their fix of nostalgia because there is often a better product in the past. And that is ultimately disappointing uh, because, you know, was it more complicated for them back then? I, like every single generation has their struggles. Every single generation has their technology and their opportunity and whatever they produce uh, to become quality. Um, that is what they're, they're working on in that day. And I can't, I don't really like to compare issues and problems and whose problems are greater greater than whose you know everybody has their issues and those problems and issues are always so strong and, and hard for them the people that are dealing with them um, but yet as time goes on it seems like we can't learn or we have a problem with like evolving and adapting becoming more optimal and it's um, and maybe this is kind of square one these people are extremely valuable to creating visions like the Mandalorian. Where would we be without people like that? You know? It's not to say that they're not valued, uh, because I'm sure that there's some people in this industry that appreciate them, but I feel like those same people in the industry are not the people that are giving out their paychecks, that are not allowing them to, you know, go on a break for 10 minutes or giving them a day off or not allowing them to work past eight hours. And, and it's not to say like, you know, people don't want to work or people don't want, you know, people, you know, don't like they, they're not lazy is what I'm trying to say. These people are passionate, extremely passionate. They love what they're doing. You know, they're the best in the world. You know, they're extremely special individuals that are only really allowed to work on these things because they're the only people that can work on these things. And to hear that some people aren't getting their lunch breaks, or bathroom breaks, or people are working without a break for months on end. You know, you've heard the stories of BioWare and Anthem. You've heard the stories with Riot and, and all these other video game companies. Uh, but I feel like a lot of times you don't hear a lot of these industry problems in Hollywood and Disney because they are tycoons. They are monsters in terms of jobs and opportunities. And it's very easy to get blacklisted if you upset the wrong people and you have this union this um, IA uh, TSE union I, I called it ITSE I'm not even sure if that's exactly what you call it um, and, and they, they're all doing their very best to get what they deserve and I hope if it's not already resolved at the very least I really do hope that we see some type of resolution to this entire conflict because without these people uh, without them getting what they deserved and, and completely be equipped financially, you know, mentally um, and, and from a supportive standpoint for these people to create the sets, create the costumes, you know, create the tech and all of the equipment that needs to be there and the CGI and, and everything else. There is no way in hell any of us could enjoy something like Star Wars. I wouldn't be able to talk about it. And that brings me back to my point about where would we be without these people if something like The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian... I remember a lot of people were talking about it um, outside of the celebration when they first saw that nice little private trailer that no, I think you only got to see if you were there. Some people recorded it, of course, but I didn't watch it. I like not watching those things because I don't want to get spoiled. But I remember so many people were talking about how it looked rough. It looked very rough. And when we see that product in the first episode of The Mandalorian, everything looks so polished. Everything is so beautiful. I go back and I always look and I just love the uh, practical effects of 
the corn. Like the corn is the first thing that shows up to me of how beautiful it was. And uh, well, uh, to, well, actually, it's it's Mando's. It's in Dejarin's costume, and then the fob, the tracking fob, the sound of you know the fob, you know, and of course um, his boots and the noise that they make, you know, and it, just all those things immediately come out to me, and and that's what what I like to call ambience. What would happen if those people were rushed even more so than they already were? What would happen if there was even less staff? You know, so many people try to to get profit these days. So many people are trying to get profit instead of just going at it and and, and giving everybody all the resources they they need to. Because yeah, of course, you know, I'm not a businessman. Um, and I'm not gonna say things like, oh well, you know, if Walt Disney was alive today, and I don't, I don't know any about that. I don't even know Walt Disney as a person, and, and neither do you. Um, what I'm trying to say is that I think maybe if we all just kind of banded together, and and really gave it our 100%, all of us. I'm not talking about workers. I'm talking about people that are in charge of making decisions, people that have the salary and the money to pay people, you know, and also fans kind of understanding that this stuff can't be made in a year, this stuff can't be made in a day, this stuff has to be groomed and polished and looked over and over until it's ready, you know, it's almost like us fans and maybe even some of the people that are owners are all sitting there looking at the oven while the people that know how to cook these things up are just telling us, yeah, you know, just you know, 15 more minutes and it'll be done, it'll be fine, it'll be, you can eat it as much as you want, just, just let it cook, you know, we don't want to take things out before they're raw, we don't want to take things out before they're messed up, we don't want to <laughs> shrink the what was it was, was it was, is it souffle that always like shrinks or something if you're too loud or something like that. I'm not I'm not a cook. I don't really know, but I hope at least for now. And if you do support these people, uh, go out there. You know, let them know on social media. There's a lot of people that we follow these days that are you know exposed to these uh, these hazards, uh, just these struggles. You know, financially. I knew a guy. I worked on Mandalorian, and it's very hard for him to find a job just because of COVID. Um, there's, I, I think everything that he was talking about and the way his field works is all contract-based, and when contracts are up, you're a free agent, and you have to look for more jobs. Um, so, you know, when these people are off, and they've worked on movies, you know, and, and everybody's struggling to get a job these days, you're always struggling to to get a job even if you have a job you're always you're looking for a better job because people just need money because the cost of living is so high um and i can't imagine trying to go at something as as simple as just trying to eat and survive and pay for your children and and, and put food on the table while you're also working you know every single day of the week every single day of the, for the holidays you know and uh, I just want to say out there, anyone that's listening to this podcast that has ever made anything, or has any produced anything, or has worked on staff, equipment, even if you're the per- or even if you're the freaking custodian that's out there, sweeping and brooming and, and doing your stuff, I just want to say thank you, and you have my full support, because without any of you working on this stuff, uh, I wouldn't be able to enjoy life, or even talk, or have a podcast, or have subscribers, or have people even acknowledge me whatsoever. So I just want to say thank you very much. Um, I hope you all are fighting the good fight um, and are supportive of each other and all your creative friends that are out there making some of the greatest Star Wars content ever. And I hope you all get get what you deserve. I hope you all, you all are absolutely valued and you should be shown how much value that you have. 
So let's go, let's go, fam. You know, even if Mandalorian is is delayed for another year, you know, I just want to say I understand, and I hope you guys get what you need. All right. So let's go. Let's go. Tweet out. Let's go. I don't know. Just do whatever. <laughs> All right. So let's get back into some some actual Star Wars stuff and. I actually have been thinking so much spoopy Star Wars. I'm not going to read the book today because I felt like uh, a lot of people didn't really like it as much. Uh, maybe if you did next time, I'll, I'll maybe I'll read some more. Uh, but I have a bunch of stories uh, that I'm thinking about telling you about. But the biggest thing that I want to talk about today is Sith tombs. Sith tombs, Sith spirits. Star Wars is so eloquently written. There are so many incredible uh, tropes of darkness and, and good versus evil, obvious gestures of that, right? And it's also quite dark, very dark. One of the darkest things in Star Wars I've always thought about is in the first episode, episode four, is when Luke Skywalker goes back to his home and he sees Aunt Beru, you know, and Uncle Owen completely just <laughs> vaporized, you know, to, to the bone. Uh, I've always thought that was kind of, like, edgy for Star Wars when I was a kid, because I always thought Star Wars was for kid stuff. And I just always remember seeing that. I was like, oh, wow, they're, uh, uh, they're really burnt. Wow. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's things like that. But then, of course, you have the dark side. And then you have something... Uh, and then, of course, you have the Emperor. And, and to a child, I want to say, the Emperor is quite terrifying. You know, he is in some cases, an embodiment of pure evil. Uh, and, like, evil for evil's sake. And and he's, in my opinion, like, the... Like, he's the probably the most evil for evil's sake entity, like, in, in Star Wars. Uh, and it's kind of crazy what he, what he represents. You know, maybe if, uh, you can add a religious factor or whatever you want to it, but the Emperor is the bad dude in the world, in the universe, uh, and there isn't much that he can't do. But what does the Emperor have? The Emperor has the dark side. He's incredibly powerful in the dark side. And his traits, right, his feats, that uh, his accomplishments are absolutely incredible that he's been able to accomplish. I always talk to you about the Thrawn books, how literally someone, a Force-sensitive child, a being that has such a minute talent in the force was able to open a door or move something on the table and he sensed it from planets sectors away he's in the middle of the galaxy and he senses a force sensitive doing something connecting and touching that pool of the force that he is connected to just so faintly across the galaxy in uncharted space to a planet he's never been before and he senses that. And so that gives you an understanding of what potentially Star Wars can do with the dark side. So many times in this timeline of Star Wars, we are introduced to Sith Lords, to apprentices, to Darths, and also characters uh, that aren't necessarily titled as Darth, uh, but are also embody the dark side of the Force. And the dark side of the Force is, at times, an enigma. It is mysterious uh, because of it, what it originates from. And there's so many questions about 
what it is. is. Is it based off in this one galaxy? Is it connected to the entire universe? Was there a being? Are there beings? Of course, we know about Clone Wars and that entire Mortis arc and the father and the son and the daughter, the ones that you always know, we always talk about. And of course, they are embodied uh, parts of the Force, the light side, the dark side, and of course, just balance in general. And that's only just tipping. It's, it's only just touching the, t the t it's only just touching the surface of all the Star Wars mumbo jumbo and it's so beautiful to see because I want to talk about something else. The dark side has energy. The dark side lingers everywhere just as the light side does. Wherever there is a light side temple or a light side planet, there is most times a dark side tomb or tribute. One of my favorite things in the new movies is Octu and how there was a dark-sided temple directly below one of the first Jedi temples in the entire existence of the Jedi. This is something that is reoccurring. It is very consistent in Star Wars, including the Jedi Temple in the Clone Wars, the prequel movies, right below that beautiful Jedi Temple in the middle of Coruscant, in the heart of Coruscant, there is a Sith Temple down there. Isn't that crazy? In fact, Palpatine even went to that temple so many times during our prime Jedi. Yoda and Mace Windu and Obi-Wan Kenobi were all sitting in the council. So it's crazy how the dark side can just slip through the creaks and cracks of the established government and the established regime of guardians of the light. Darkness finds a way to creep in and influence. It is terrifying. It is a scary thing. But what is terrifying is its reach, how it can influence you, and you don't even have to be near it. It just finds you. It could be in your sleep. You could be walking outside. You could have a nightmare. You could be upset about something, and then for some reason, you are on the frequency or signal of some <laughs> very ancient Sith Lord that passed away thousands of years, and he's just trying to get off his planet find a way to immortality once again and he just clings to your life force because you have a midi chlorine count and that's one of the stories that i want to talk today about is master brawl of r and isengent this is a star wars the old republic story and it is one of the coolest star wars the old republic stories i gotta tell you fam i oh, okay i gotta come clean here one of my favorite niche stories is of a Sith spirit possessing a current force sensitive, and that force sensitive does their bidding. Man, it is so cool. Something about Star Wars and, you know, it's, we see the Yoda, we see Yoda and Dagobah and the cave, and Luke Skywalker goes down there and then he sees Darth Vader, or whatever that was that the tree was betraying. The dark side was alive. And then, of course, one of my favorite stories in all the EU is Ex-Arcoon and Luke Skywalker. Ex-Arcoon was one of the strongest Sith Lords of all time. 
He was one of the creators uh, and visionaries of the double-bladed lightsaber that Darth Maul uses. His lightsaber was so renowned and intimidating that so many other Sith Lords sought out that saber because of his creation and his teachings and his reputation as a Sith Lord. Exar Kun was so strong that he had some of the most powerful Jedi and in that time, in that era, almost the entire council, these are eight to 10 Jedi fighting him at the same time to encaps him, to keep him, into a temple to tap in and make sure he stays buried in that spiritual energy, in that force, because he was too strong to be kept alive. And there he stayed for thousands of years, but his spirit endured. And then when Luke Skywalker decided to make the new Jedi Order and visited Yavin, he found, and his apprentices found, a wary but lurking Exar Kun's spirit. And Exar Kun practically killed all of his Padawans. All of his new Jedi that he was training. Possessed them, bewitched them. He almost destroyed Luke Skywalker as well. Of course, that is how one person would see it. But then of course others would say Exar Kun got lucky and it was situational. And yes, of course, spirits of the Sith are often advantageous. They are somewhat scavengers because there is no life after death for them. They, There are forms of, like, Sith ghosts. It's, it's a form. Like, in Star Wars, you hear a lot about, oh, well, you know, only light-sided uh, individuals are allowed to become a Force ghost. But there are ways Sith Lords cling to the afterlife, whether it's possessing, whether they're uh, whether they stay onto their equipment or lightsabers or tombs um, and, and Korriban, the planet of Korriban Moribon, I believe, is its canon name that they use in Clone Wars uh, this, is a, this is a planet that is thousands of years old so it probably has many names, I believe Star Wars uh, officially has also seen so we see also in Clone Wars Darth Bane is able to rise up from the ashes and in the in the valley of the dark alive and the, the valley of the I guess you could say the plane of the dark side and he confronts Yoda as well. So there are ways for the dark side to reach back out into uh, immortality or at least tap it for a moment but then vanish again after they are powerless because their energy just depletes them whatever it is. So as always this is a time in the Old Republic, where the Republic is established. There isn't really too much conflict these days, um, but as always, the Jedi are out and they are guiding the galaxy and the Republic and the peace and doing what Jedi do. You know, going out in their dog dogmatic ways <laughs> and preaching the good book of the light side of the Force and of course the Jedi Code. Now. Master Barilavar and Isengint apparently um, were quite different from a lot of the other Jedis of their time. <laughs> and most notably, yes, they were quite unorthodox. Uh, so much so that they even dabbled in some of the dark-sided teachings. But what was so incredibly at, uh, ambitious of them was to venture out to dark side planets. Planets 
that ultimately were origin planets of the dark side. These are planets like Zoist and Korriban and Yavin, you know, and, 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 and so many other planets that were written down in the holy scriptures of the Thousand Year War. This is the first war of the Jedi. This created the Dark Jedi, which eventually evolved into the Sith. And they went out to these planets and they wanted to learn about the dark side because I guess as all Jedi must do there there is a certain lust for knowledge there is a certain type of I want to know the secrets Anakin Skywalker I feel like is one of those Jedi also um, while he got the main blame for uh, you know being so close to the dark side and, and, and not being so trustworthy with his emotions uh, but I believe that there are a lot of Jedi throughout time that were also uh, very how you can say, ambitious, and they probably had a lust for power, or more so, not necessarily a lust for power, but a lust for knowledge, which I feel like is also equivalently more dangerous, it, it just as lusting for power, just as wanting to become the most powerful Jedi the galaxy had ever seen, because knowledge is also omnipotence, uh, it's also power, and then you become all-knowing, you become omnipotent, right? So oh, I, that's omniscient. Om, om, yes, it's one of those. So, um, I think at the end of the day, what a lot of these Jedi's would often do is they would venture out. And Exarkun is someone that did this as well. They venture out, and they find knowledge. And when they're seeking knowledge, they encounter something that they're not expecting, and it is a dark side entity. Master Barrelovar and Isen Glint. They go out to Yavin. Yavin is one of the most incredible planets in Star Wars because we see it in A New Hope. We see it in Rogue One. This is the planet that you always see the rebels taking time. They're, they're, they're always hiding there uh, after, excuse me, before uh, Empire Strikes Back. When, uh, right in the New Hope, when the Death Star blows up. That is the planet that they're seeking refugee. This is the planet that is basically their anchor to the entire uh, resistance or rebellion, I guess you could say. And the temples that you're seeing, these were created by Masasi, the uh, old Sith species uh, that were there in the Sith Empire. This is where it essentially originated from. Those planets, those temples, have a endangered species, uh, but not necessarily endangered because they're often hiding and doing stuff. These are the Masasi warriors. There are thousands. They are some of the most powerful soldiers in the entire Star Wars timeline that are hiding within these tombs. They have loyalty to certain individuals. One, of course, is the great Sith King. One of the greatest Sith leaders of all is Naga Sadal. And they venture inside his tomb because he was also one of the leaders of these warriors and these warrior races. Um, and it's incredible to see Master Berlovar and his apprentice, Isen Gint, to go out here, and of course, they're venturing out to seek more knowledge, but what finds them is a battle, because they discover the Masasi warriors are still alive. Nobody goes to these planets. Nobody is allowed to venture to these planets because of the dark side origins. This is like going into the Conga jungle, or somewhere else that is, maybe even like Antarctica, and nobody is out there. No one is out there, but it's so desolate, it's so far, that anybody could have visited these planets 
because it is just so dangerous. Nobody ventures out there. You have no idea. And this is an entire planet that is filled with tombs, that is filled with battles, an old Sith dark side embodiment of so powerful that can topple any Jedi, especially infiltrating their mind and possessing them and seeking out power because that was, is so much so dangerous about these Sith spirits is that they can possess you. And when they're inside a vessel, when they're inside a body, that is when their full power is practically achieved. Every moment they're inside of you doing their bidding, they become stronger and they're almost one with your body until you cannot, you can no longer get them out. And uh, depending on how strong they are, they can body jump in and possess multiple people in, in one instance. And that's what you see with Exar Kun and Luke Skywalker. That's what you see in this story as well, as Master Ofar goes out and they're fighting. These They're fighting the numerous Masasi warriors that are just hoarding out, pouring in. And they're trying to escape the tomb, but there's just so many Masasi warriors that they did not expect. They, it was literally supposed to be a field trip. But these warriors are pouring out, pouring into the tombs to the point that, they're, that they have to retreat. They have to retreat over and over, and they're going deeper and deeper into the temple. They find an escape route. No, the Masasi warriors are there too, waiting for them. And so they have to go deeper and deeper into the temple. Until finally they, they go. And they get so far into the temple that they reach a tomb. Whose tomb? Well, I think we all know. It was probably Naga Sadao's tomb. Naga Sadao is one of the most powerful Sith Lords in the entire timeline of Star Wars. He's one, if he, and if he's not the most powerful Star Wars Sith Lord, he absolutely is one of the most renowned with one of the greatest reputations and one of the greatest histories of the war in the Sith Wars and the hyperspace wars. There's so many different roles that the Republic and the Sith have played in the wars over. One practically leading to genocide of the Sith, which was a direct result in creation of Naga Sadao. So you can bet his spirit is quite angry and upset and probably does not want to be pestered and visited by Jedi of the Republic. And so they venture into the tomb of Naga Sadao, who is in his slumber. Many years pass, and Master Ovar appears in the Republic all by himself. Well, wait, Lord Dagomir, what happened? I thought you said he was with his apprentice. Well, what about Naga Sadao? Yes, that's right. This was years, years. They had been missing. They had proclaimed Master Beryl Ovar dead, and his apprentice, Isengit, missing. They had no idea where they had been. They didn't tell anybody about their trip. Because why would you tell the Republic, who is so fond and so fixated on Jedi and the light side of the Republic, why would you tell these people that you're venturing out to a dark side planet? Because that would just be terrible. I mean, that, that would so much debate and so much... I mean, of course, yes. But they comes back. And, 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 and Master Barrel is practically delusional, crazy, talking in tongues, speaking to himself. He, he was practically a lunatic, and it took him months, months, for him to finally become sane. 
And he talked about it. Everybody wanted to know, well, what happened to your Padawan? Where did you go? And we had no answers. There was no answers. And he's, he, he, he did his thing, being a Jedi. And then one day, he goes out after he meets with the Senate to tell him about the story, you know, about his apprentice. And he's walking in the middle of the street, coming right back from the Senate. And guess who's in the middle? Guess who's in the middle of the hangar? Right there, waiting for him to return. It's his apprentice, Isengin. Completely dressed in Masasi robe. These are the warriors that fought them in the temple. A ship that had never been seen before. Something that predates anything that they remember. From a war completely forgotten about. Isengint is full-fledged dark side, Completely turned. More powerful than he's ever seen. And attacks him in broad daylight. In front of several civilians. The fight goes on. For, for hours. His master doesn't even recognize his skills because he's so strong. But not strong enough. Master Ovar absolutely slays his former apprentice. And after a while, it seemed like, you know, Master Ovar, well, that's good. You know, he's, he's, he's on his way to rehab and he's on his way to, you know, coming back. And then his crazy apprentice that obviously... Uh, you know, tipped into the dark side and, and, and gave in to the force of Naga Sadao. You know, almost killed our, our, our poster boy here, Master Barrel. Ovar. But is that really what do you think happened? Because the story about Master Ovar is he was always so curious about the dark side. But you also... In Sith story, we understand what. What do we know about Sith? They are very greedy. They're conquerors. And they're always trying to get at each other. That's essentially why the Brotherhood of the Sith didn't last. Was because... Well, and the Sith just did not last. Was uh, it, This is the rule of two. The rule of two is the, the finite. It is the pinnacle. It is the zenith of philosophy for the Sith. It is the only way they were absolutely able to coexist with the acceptance of there as a master and apprentice, one to embody the power, one to crave it. And this is coming from the Old Republic, right? Where th thousands of Sith roamed the galaxy. And this predates that as well because Naga Sadao is a very, very old Sith Lord coming from a very, very old war with Sith Lords like Marco Ragnos, who also tried to challenge his rule, you know? There are so many incredible Sith kings of that time and age. Master Beryl Ovar absolutely was a dark side enthusiast. The moment, there, there, the moment Master Beryl Ovar stepped foot on that dark-sided planet and entered that dark-sided tomb of Yavin, Naga Sadao knew that he was being infiltrated and attacked. Which is absolutely why the Masasi warriors rose to defend their claim and why Naga Sadao probably invaded the, ma the mind and the spirit of his apprentice, 
I feel like the Sith always work in those ways. And that's what I love about Star Wars and the Sith, is that it's so incredible in terms of how the dark side is always trying to get each other. Master Berlavar was absolutely obsessed with dark side. He was going there not to teach and to learn. Yes, well, yes, she was. He was going there uh, for greed. He wanted to find more power. And he wanted to do that taking it from one of the most powerful Sith Lords in that time, in that era of existence. This is thousands of years before Palpatine. And that was Naga Sadal. And it's so... It's so wicked how Naga Sadao and all these Sith tombs are able to just preserve themselves for so long in these tombs and just wait. I talk about Exar Kun and his temple on Yavin and the attack of Luke Skywalker that uh, practically threatened the entire New Jedi Order. Exar Kun is probably one of the most incredible Sith Lords because he had been there almost practically longer than Naga Sadao in terms of length from years to when he died or sacrificed himself and, and, and saved his spirit essence into the new Jedi Order after Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker was training his Jedi. And he sat there and he reached out one of uh, the future Luke Skywalker's apprentices, this man on this planet in this tomb, was literally possessing anybody that came by, that passed by. He even at one time possessed multiple people, I believe it was two smugglers, and he possessed both of them, and they essentially became acolytes of Exar Kun. Uh, but then there was a, there was, there's always people going into these tombs, and they're always you know, exhuming stuff and, and raiding stuff, you know, and, and coming out with treasure. And they ended up killing both of these two acolytes because when you're a Sith spirit, you don't really have too much power. You have to kind of leech off whatever is around you and your power is essentially limited. So while he could be potentially a 10 out of 10, he's fighting out of a, out of three or a four. And of course, that three or four is kind of devastating for anyone who isn't a force sensitive, uh, let alone Padawans who have never, who have really never encountered the dark side of the force. Yeah, sure, angers and feeling, you know, and and pain, uh, but the dark side all at once, like pure, potent dark side coming from a powerful Sith Lord. That is not something a, a young Padawan can contend with, let alone repel. And that's why it's so incredible when you think about Exar Kun sitting there for years and years and years trying to devise a, a, a way to reach out and claim life again. And there was an apprentice, a future apprentice, hadn't met Luke Skywalker yet, but Exar Kun would appear in this boy's nightmares. Exar Kun influenced him through sheer imagination and presence because of nightmares that literally, that literally practically influenced this boy to create almost mimic, almost identical lightsaber to what Exar Kun created in the past. His own lightsaber. I already talked about how incredible that lightsaber was in terms of Sith 
ideology and and just sheer architecture and how so many other uh, Sith Lords had saw, sought it as something impressive, those that appreciated it, of course. And he, through influence in the Force and in and his sheer mind and, and power, reached out worlds away, worlds solar systems away to a little child that was having nightmares to possess him into thinking that his idea was original for his lightsaber the point he was inside luke skywalker's academy and of course when the time finally came when the time was approaching and they ventured inside that tomb just as master barrel avar did with nagas nagasadao's tomb Exar Kun was waiting, and Exar Kun was a force to be reckoned with. These are only a few Sith Lords that we know, and there are so many more stories about what happened in Sith in these tombs. I can't even begin to talk about the Valley of the Dark Lords, the Valley of the Kings, and it's, uh, it's so... It's, it's so beautiful <laughs> in terms of like Star Wars and how they keep because everyone always so harps on death and you know oh this character is dead Palpatine is dead you know and whatever you enter your favorite Sith Lord here um, but Star Wars has a way of keeping the legacy intact and also feeding you the old while it's still alive in spirit literally spirit I don't think there are more interesting, there are too many interesting things that are more fun to talk about than Sith spirits and awakening Sith tombs and venturing inside dark-sided tombs because they are incredibly fun stories. Um, I feel like uh, you can't go wrong with these stories when, when you venture into that uh, because this is just a tale of a few people. Yeah, Luke Skywalker is included, but... Always beware, because if you enter inside those Sith tombs, even if you're not a Force-sensitive, you're in for a fun surprise, and you might not live to tell the story about it. Uh, just as <laughs> Master Barilovar's Apprentice, um, which is crazy, because I think that story is so unique in its way, because it shows you how, while so many Jedi are in the universe, how many of them are so close to slipping away into the dark side, into madness? There are so many that might have been obsessed with the dark side. Or, or maybe even uh, rivals to some of the Sith Lords that are inside the tombs, you know? And I think Master Barrel of R absolutely could have been a, a follower of someone like Marco Ragnos or a rival of Naga Sadao. And that's what's so sad at the same time about Star Wars and the Sith is that they always find a way to undo themselves because the Sith just can't not betray each other, not kill each other off. They can't just work together. While the Jedi have their flaws, the Sith still have so many more. Uh, but if you ever want a spooky story, Star Wars is filled with Sith tombs and Sith spirits ready to keep you up at night.
because <laughs> they will enter your nightmares and many more. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed this. It was such a fun. It's always so fun talking about Sith. I, I, I maybe one day or one month I'll just dedicate like an entire podcast talking about just Sith for four to five straight weeks. But I hope you enjoyed this spoopy session of possession and dark sideness. It's always so fun. I am Lord Dagavir at the Dark Temple and Unlock the Knowledge, visited by Mera Jade, Luke Skywalker, and Kyle Katarn, and so many other Force sensitives like yourself. I hope you enjoyed everything today. It was so fun. I'll see you next time, fam. Deuces.